Welcome to the Denver Gazette Sports Podcast, and we've got a special edition on this Monday. First, we're joined by Tyler King to talk about CU firing Carl Durrell, and then we'll be joined by George Stoya to react to all the Broncos news. I am joined for a special Monday talk with Tyler King after the big news over the weekend. Tyler, how are we doing? I'm doing all right. Busy, busy Sunday, busier Sunday than I'm used to. As a college football writer, I'm not used to usually Sundays as a relaxing day. I can just watch some NFL football, enjoy myself. But, you know, I get hit with the two o'clock or whenever I was before then, you know, afternoon news dump that Carl Durrell has been fired. And that kind of throws off my the rest of my day. So, you know, there, there's there's that. Yeah, so, so like you said, uh, CU announced that they had let go of Carl Durrell. Yeah, it was like one. It was like an hour before the Bronco game, maybe like forty-five minutes. It was pretty close, was right bit, before kickoff. Yeah, it got leaked. Well, I mean, it got reported by ESPN like around, I think I would say around like twelve thirty, one o'clock, and then, you know, CU did the perfectly timed statement about twenty minutes before the Broncos game, just like they're they're very good at. Yeah, yeah. At least it wasn't right after the game this time, but um, like Rick's. Uh, statement well, a couple uh, two weeks, weeks ago. yeah two weeks ago it was like as the broncos game was starting so yeah it was like 225 yeah and this time it was about 50 minutes earlier so so again you know the Buffs were coming off another blowout loss to arizona an arizona team that is better but still the bottom of the pack 12 um so it was actually their closest loss was it not the, the 23, 23 points, points. 23 yeah. points was the best uh performance i guess of the season uh yeah they had lost by 25 points uh, oh, 25 or more points the previous four weeks so yeah improvement I guess if you could call it that so so Carter Durrell was let go um, they were 0-5 you know he had that COVID season that they went 4-1 and, and then got blown out in the bowl game by Texas that that season was just it was weird it was six games or five games whatever it was I mean Pac-12 I think, coach of the year Carl Durrell there you go right right that season yeah and um, so, you know, what, where, where do you – I mean, so what does this put CU now? So they have an interim coach. They also let go of their defensive coordinator, so there's changes there. So, so, so where does CU go, at least for the rest of this season? Yeah, I mean, Mike Sanford's offense coordinator is going to be the interim head coach. I actually thought it might be Phil McGagan, who was the, like, assistant head coach slash wide receivers coach. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of, like – good candidates to choose from in terms of interim just because of how new everyone is with the program like Mike Sanford has even just been here for a couple months um, he does have previous head coaching experience he's the only person other person on staff with that um, he was a head coach at Western Kentucky in 2017 and 2018 I didn't go very well um, but he so he'll take over as interim head coach we'll talk to him tomorrow on Tuesday and kind of get a sense of what things will be like football wise he elevated Clay Patterson who he has a lot of history with. They worked together at Minnesota. Um, he was a tight ends coach. He's going to be elevated to offense coordinator. And uh, another newcomer, Gerald Chapman, uh, defensive line coach, is going to be elevated to defensive coordinator. He came over from Tulane in the offseason. Um, after there was a weird uh, – it was the, the CU D-line coaching carousel that happened over the offseason. They hired uh, a guy named Vic Soto from US, USC, and then he yeah. weirdly left like two weeks in to take the same job at Cal um, and then they hired Chapman who's pretty really fiery guy um, he'll be the DC um, so it'll be interesting going forward um, I'll see if I'm not sure I'm assuming Stanford will still be calling plays 
offensively. He had been in the booth throughout the season, so now he'll be on the sideline for the first time at CU, so that'll be something to monitor, just kind of how he handles in-game uh, management and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is they are down two coaches, so that's not, obviously not ideal. Um, and the roster is not great, and they haven't, you know, haven't been competitive in any game so far this year, so maybe they get some motivation and can pull off a, a win or two. I mean, if you're looking at one game, it'll be Arizona State later yep. this month that they could possibly win. Maybe they beat Cal just like as a galvanizing performance um, in about eleven, nine days, about you know, ten days or so um, when they when they get off the buys. But other than that, it's kind of just survive the season basically and kind of see what comes in December when a new coach is hired. Yeah, I mean, this hire is not going to be anytime soon. They're definitely going to wait. You know, till the end of probably conference championship weekend, I would imagine. Yeah, I yeah. Rick George is saying, you know, last night at the press conference that look, you know, this is not coming in a couple of days, nor should it. Like they should take the time. Um, Darrell was this rushed. Is, yeah, and well, that was out of necessity. Obviously, the previous head coaching, um, you know, search was very unique in the fact that Mel Tucker leaves from Michigan State after the February signing period, just like right. a very unheard of in terms of coaches changing jobs like that, especially head coaches. Um, and, you know, Carl Durrell was hired and just, it, it only took about two weeks to kind of get that settled. And, you know, I think once Durrell expressed interest the first time around, it was, they, they kind of just kind of keyed in on him and kind of made things happen there. Um, just because, you know, Durrell obviously had a lot of interest and he was a very, he was different from Mel Tucker in that he had previous experience with the program and definitely cared and, was at a point in his career where he was probably looking for one last job to kind of ride it out and, you know, spend maybe 10 or so years at CU and kind of bring it back to where, you know, it was when he was here first as an assistant in the nineties, obviously that was the plan. It didn't work. Uh, and now they're, you know, searching for another head coach and, you know, who knows who it's going to be. Is it going to be another Mel Tucker type or are they looking for someone who really cares about, you know, staying for the long haul at CU? I don't think that would be the right way to go, but, you know, we'll see what Rick, Rick George does. He definitely, you know, made it clear last night that they want someone who wants to be in Boulder so that they don't – I don't think they see themselves as a stepping stone to other jobs. They don't want to be that, although I don't think that is the worst thing in the world right now yeah. uh, for the for the program. And it's just – you got to find somebody who can win football games. That's That would be my biggest, you know, my biggest goal for, for CU in, in finding this new head coach. I, I don't understand – you know, the stepping stone thing is interesting because – I get that, you know, CU doesn't want to be like that. But if a coach came in here and had three successful years and then he left for a bigger school, I would think CU would have to be thrilled with that. Yeah, especially if that coach is leaving because they were very successful. I think, right. Yeah, and I, I don't think – obviously you don't want Mel Tucker coming – a guy like Mel Tucker coming in and leaving after one year. That's not the goal. But what what's wrong with a guy coming in for three – you find another – up you find an up-and-coming head coach – um, you bring him in and they stay for three years and they, t they go to the next job. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at this point for CU. They don't have the funds to really compete with the high salaries that coaches are getting in the SEC and the Big Ten and even it's the bigger schools in the Pac-12 that, you know, obviously like – I mean, USC is not going to be a Pac-12 school going forward. Um, but, you know, like even like Oregon can – can pay more than CU and, and even Washington can pay more than CU for head coaches. So I don't, I mean, there's obviously going, that's been a thing going back to the nineties when Rick Neuheisel left CU for a lateral move to take the Washington job. Like this has been a thing. I don't think 
you, you really need to be looking for someone who wants, who plans on being a Boulder for 10 years. I don't think you should be looking for someone who can turn this thing around, utilize all that CU does have to offer. Because I do think even with some of the academic um, hindrances that, that may exist and kind of the challenges that go along with that, there's a lot that CU has to offer and should not be a bottom five program in power. It shouldn't be. It's right now. It's the worst power five program. It should, it's yeah. a bottom five. This team is a, currently a bottom five team in all of FBS Division One football, and I don't think it, it shouldn't be. Boulder is a beautiful place. Um, you know, there's an outside perception that Colorado is cold, but I mean, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and Colorado is a lot more temperate in the December and January times than Pennsylvania can be sometimes. Right. So I, I enjoy the weather at least, and th- there's just a lot to offer. I just there's somebody can turn CU into a good program that wins that makes bowl games every year and occasionally gets the eight, nine, 10 win seasons and competes for pack 10 or soon pack 12 championships. And, you know, the pack 12 is interesting because it's, you know, like you said, USC and UCLA are out the door. The conference is not, I mean, it's not even that strong this year. Like UCLA blew out Washington this weekend who people, I mean, Washington was a top 20 team. So the pack 12 is still, it's a pretty wide open conference that if you, if CU gets the right coach and the right players, there's no reason they can't compete. Yeah. I think there are actually a lot of Pac-12 schools that are in good spots. I think obviously CU and Arizona state are the two that aren't. And Stanford is in this limbo with, I mean, I have no idea what the expectations are even under David Shaw. They've been bad for almost five years now, really Um, just like, uh, like not a part of the national conversation at all. But you look at teams like obviously Oregon is, is, is good again this year. Um, they've really bounced back from that Georgia blowout loss in week one and played well ever since. I think I like Oregon State where they're headed. Yeah. Obviously, Washington is going in a good direction under Kalen DeBoer. Um, they obviously lost to UCLA this past week, but they're still a good team. UCLA is a good team. Um, Washington State could be could be and probably should be ranked. Um, they're, they're doing well. So. Um, and like we said, Arizona, we saw this past weekend against CU. The Jed Fish seems to have found a quarterback and you know, they've got at least a good offensive infrastructure that, you know, they've got something going forward, uh, some good going forward for them. And obviously Utah um, under Whittingham has been really, really good for these last, you know, 10 or so years and is now, you know, a, a perennial Pac-12 uh, championship, you know, contender. All right, so let's look at you. Uh, you wrote a story about five candidates that could be possible for the job, and each of them kind of had like a, a little twist on him, who they would be. Uh, the name that interests me is Ryan Walters. All, it, he always has. Um, but I just wonder if the CU fan base, like, oh, no, here comes another buff, which has failed twice already. Now, the Embry hire, oh, my goodness. That, that was my first year working in Boulder was the Embry hire. And, um, you know, it was going to bring CU back to glory, and it was about the worst two years of football. I mean, they're going to rival that here soon. But the, those two years were, were just awful. So I don't know how people would react to that. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I think it would be a little bit different. Um, maybe just because it's a different era um, and Walters is coming in as like a really established – I mean, he's done a really, really good job at Illinois. He did a good job at Missouri before that. Um, he's a good defensive mind. Um, you know, I, and I think, you know, it, I think it would be a good hire. I, I really do. I, I wasn't – sure about Ryan Walters before I kind of looked into it yesterday, but, you know, I think that would be a pretty good hire. I think it'd be an easy sell, at least. Um, Yeah, but I think another guy that I think 
would be my number one choice right now would probably be Jeff Grimes, yeah. the Baylor offensive coordinator, who does have history at CU. He, you know, he was uh, a position coach at CU and you know um, under Jane Hawkins um, from in 07, 08. Um, and he's done a really, really good job with that Baylor offense, kind of turning it around. He was he did a really good job at BYU before then, um, you know, utilizing and kind of developing Zach Wilson, is in the NFL, who's in the NFL now. Um, and you know, because Dave Aranda, the head coach at Baylor, is a defensive guy, so he's kind of given Grimes kind of the full reins of the offense, and he's kind of run with it. And, and you know, they obviously won the Big Twelve championship last year, uh, pretty good again this year. Um, so. Yeah, I think a guy like Jeff Grimes would be pretty good. It would be a natural step. He doesn't have any head coaching experience, but I don't think that should be at all a deterrent uh, for CU in, in this search. I think I don't think it is a problem to find a really good coordinator that kind of fits the culture and can kind of has sort of familiarity with the West Coast and Texas, which is you know the main two recruiting areas for CU. So I think I think yeah, like I mentioned, Grimes would probably be a number one choice, but yeah, I, I do think Walters wouldn't be a bad hire, and it would be a pretty easy sell to the fan base. Just because he was a good player, successful player, good good safety for the team in the early two thousands. So, yeah. He, um, so talk about you had three other guys on there too. Why don't you uh, talk about those guys a little bit? Yeah, I think third on, on my list would probably be Jeff Trailer, who's the UTSA head coach. Uh, really turned around that program. Uh, the Roadrunners, kind of a Twitter college football darling. Um, you know, they're a really good conference USA program right now. Um, and he did that really quickly and obviously has a lot of ties to the state of Texas that would be good for recruiting, like I mentioned, because this past recruiting class that is now getting lots of, you know, snaps as true freshmen, yeah. obviously Owen McCowan, Jordan Tyson, uh, center Van Wells, true freshman starting. Um, all these guys are from Texas. They, and they have a lot of other guys from that, from this, in this freshman class that are, are from Texas. Um, I think that's a big recruiting area for CU. That's where they want to get talent from at this point. And I think Trailer would be a pretty good guy to keep those Texas kids around and to recruit that area going forward. Um, next guy I had was Ricky Ronnie, who I have a lot of familiarity with. He was um, at Penn State uh, when I when I was when I was a student there covering the team uh, as a you know he was the offense coordinator there. Um, and now he's the head coach of Old Dominion. He's from Colorado. He doesn't have any ties to CU, but you know he's a Colorado native. Um, you know, he played high school ball in, in Lakewood. Um, he's a really good high school quarterback. Um, and he's done a pretty good job at Old Dominion. They had a big win over Virginia Tech earlier this season. Yep. They nearly beat Virginia, too. You know, they're, they've been pretty well. They had a rough start to the – he had a rough start after um, they had the, he had his first season canceled by COVID. Um, and they had a rough start last year. But now they've kind of turned it around and looked like a pretty, pretty decent program. And then the last guy I brought up was uh, an interesting candidate, and Mark Helfrich, who – Obviously, he's the former Oregon head coach, um, was Chip Kelly's offense coordinator, kind of Chip Kelly's uh, right-hand man until Kelly left for, for the NFL and Helfrick took over. You know, Helfrick has been a Fox analyst for the last couple of years. Aside from one year, he spent as the offense coordinator for the Bears. It didn't go well, and he kind of it was only a one-year thing. But, you know, if he's trying to look to get back into coaching, kind of rejuvenate his career, he's still a young guy. Um, he would still be – he'd be a candidate, I, I think, that – if, he, if he's looking for some uh, program to take over and kind of get himself back out there as as a head coach, I think, you know, he's a guy to, to look out look out for. So one of my big questions is how do some of these guys look at CU as a job? Would, would you know, the Baylor offensive coordinator just be like, well, let's 
better here. You know, I'm thinking back to, and I can't remember which coaching search it was when Steve Sarkeesian was possibly coming to CU. And he was like, I'd rather stay at Alabama as the offensive coordinator than come to CU. Do, do you, I mean, now he's at Texas, of course. But um, do you think that there's some of that, like, I mean, I can get paid and have a better gig at a school, at a different school than being a head coach up in Boulder? I do, yeah. I think that's the one issue I have with kind of what Rick George was saying last night was, I mean, he still views this as a top job, and it's not right now. It's, it's not. just not. Um, the facilities are great. Boulder's great. But the, I after that, I mean, it's it's not an easy, easy fix. But it, there is – like I said, like earlier, I was saying there's potential and there's a lot that Boulder, you know, CU has to offer, but it's not the easiest job in the world. And you can ask any former coach. You can talk to Gary Barnett about that. It's not an easy job. Um, and if that's what someone's looking for as an easy stepping stone, I, I, I don't think that's what CU is. But if you are able to turn it around, I think that's it speaks even more to how good of a coach you are. That's what I think. And I just think CU needs to be realistic about what it is at this point and not try to think that you know I, I understand rick george's wants cu to be like it was when he was here in the 90s as recruited uh, you know working in the recruiting department yeah. uh, when this when this place was special it used to be a special special place that had good football for a, a pretty long time but that's not hasn't been the case for 20 years now you have to move past that and kind of move past the glory days because Look, I wasn't even born when CU – I wasn't even close to being born when CU was winning national championships and competing for them in the late 80s, early 90s. I wasn't even born. So not, neither are the kids you're going to be recruiting or the kids on your roster. They're not going to remember that. And I don't think that should be – I don't think CU should be a program looking to prop up its history at this point. You should be looking forward to the future and what's the next era of CU and how do we get there and, and utilize what we have currently – you know, which is obviously a beautiful college town, a fun college town to be in, uh, in a state that a lot of people like to move to. So, I mean, there are worse places to spend your four years of college than Boulder, Colorado. That, And I think that should be the main pitch going forward, not that CU is this legacy program that um, college football isn't the same without because we've learned in the last 20 years that college football is just fine with CU being, uh, you know, a, a mess. And – I think, you know, you mentioned the facilities. Uh, I took a tour of those facilities a couple of years ago. And, I mean, th that is their driving, that is their selling point with recruits. It's it's not, oh, you know, do you remember in 94 when Cordell had the miracle of Michigan? Yeah. Like, those kids yeah. don't, I mean, you know, I remember that because I'm old enough. But, you know, I don't, a, a, six, a 17, 18-year-old kid's going to be like, oh, okay, Cordell Stewart. You know, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, they have to just realize that, and, and you know, I always under, I understand the Darrell hire. It was a quick one. They had to do what they had to do. They've got to get somebody in there to rebuild this. Like, it's not going to be fixed in a year. They're probably going to be bad. I mean, this year who this this year is going to be terrible. But next year they're probably going to be bad too. I mean, it's just it's going to take time. Like, if you stick with McCown, he's going to be a 19 year old sophomore next year. Like, there's just. You know, it, it's not going to be fixed overnight. And I think Rick George and that university and the fans need to realize it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the facilities is definitely the the main sticking point that, that whoever the new coach is needs to utilize for recruiting. It is a gorgeous facility. And, I mean, if you're going to give Mike McIntyre credit for anything, give him credit for that because he wasn't taking the job, you know, back in right. 2013 
without signing on for, you know, $150 million renovations at the facility. And, you know, that's the reason why it is what it is today because of McIntyre. So I'll give him credit for that at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, look to the future. This is, like you said, it's not going to be a quick fix. I think with the transfer portal, um, things like that and NIL, which definitely CU needs to take a step forward in terms of NIL and getting and utilizing that. It, I think you can rebuild quicker in college football. You've seen that at places like Washington, at places like Washington State. Um, there's, there's lots of programs that have really utilized the transfer portal to kind of quickly get back um, to playing winning football in a coach's first season. Um, so I don't think it is totally lost that CU could do that. And there are some talented players in the roster. <laughs> My dog is uh, barking here, um, but um, you know, like like I was saying, um, Jesus, he's not happy. Um, but he's angry about the CU job apparently. Too. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but um, what I was saying was, yeah, I don't. I think you, you can turn things around a little bit quicker and put, get back to playing winning football, which I don't think the bar is embarrassingly low right now for CU. Like I think the fans right now would have taken. Last year's four-win season this year, again. Yeah. I think they just want bowl games. And, you know, playing 500 football is not a high bar to get to uh, in a, for a Power 5 conference. It, it really shouldn't be for a Power 5 team. It, sh- it shouldn't be that hard you need to, six to get wins. to six wins. <laughs> yeah, it should, not, it should not be hard to get six wins at Colorado. And I think that's the bar right now. And if, you sh- if a coach comes in here and strings together – Say it's four wins next year, six wins after six wins after that, seven wins after that. I think fans will be over the moon with that with that at this point, with how bad things have gotten. Because like I said, twenty twelve was a disaster. Twenty twenty two is now gonna be a disaster. I mean, just get some kind of stability in the program where you're not bottoming out every other every couple of years. I mean twenty sixteen was a good year, but can you think of any other good year in the last decade? Besides 2016, no. I mean, 2020 doesn't really count. This is 20 that was a lost year. After 2016, when they, you know, won the won the division, made the Pac-12 championship game. Think of another good season in the last 15 years of Colorado football. Well, you know, there's the, always the weird positivity about that one Mel Tucker year, but they were still five and seven. They, five, they, they didn't make a bowl game. Like, no, they didn't, and they had chances to make a bowl game, and they got. I mean, that was a really good Utah team that routed them in the last week of the season. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but but still, like there were games that they. I mean, you know, they beat Stanford like thirteen to ten that year or something like that. Like, you know, they, there was there was such optimism with Mel Tucker, and I get that the players really liked him, and it, that there was a different attitude. But they still went five and seven. That's the only other year that I can think of, besides the Pac-12 title game run, where it was like, oh, there's confidence in CU. Yeah, I think there was, you know, something building because obviously Mel Tucker's a really good recruiter. Like, yeah, that's we've seen obvious. That. Like we've like we saw that, and you know, it's unfortunate for CU that most of the guys he recruited left. You know, the good yeah. ones. You know, you know, Jarek Broussard, Brendan Rice, th- those kind of guys are, are not here anymore. Christian Gonzalez, you know, who's going to be an NFL player, yeah, um, are, not, are not here anymore. And that's that's the problem. You need to get somebody in here who can really recruit as well. That's that's probably the biggest thing. Is I I, I get that the coaching has been bad this season uh, and it wasn't great last season either um but they overhauled the coaching staff over the offseason and things got worse like and and you know what else happened over the offseason the roster got overhauled because a lot of guys left yeah and left for the it, whether it was graduating like you know nate Lamon, who was obviously a legendary 
defensive player, um, but also losing guys in the transfer portal. Um, this roster just isn't very good. And I, I, and I, I think, I don't think it's this bad. Let me be clear. I don't think it's 0-5 losing by 23 plus points every week bad. I don't think it's that, but it's not very good. And I think that's something that really needs to change. You got to get better players in here and you got to get more depth in here. You know, Cardrell talked over the, a lot over the off season about how, you know, we think our ones, our twos are really catching up to our ones. And in hindsight, maybe that was the ones were getting worse, not that the twos were getting a lot better. Right. And, that, and and to be honest, that's probably what it was. And I think you got to focus on on really rebuilding this roster, getting a lot of getting some more talent here. It's not like there's nothing here. Like I mentioned, Owen McCown, I think, is going to be a pretty good quarterback. He's 19 years old right now, and he looks like a freshman most of the time. But there are flashes. He makes good plays. He's certainly CU's best option right now. Um, but there are talented players on this roster, and you know. There are talented players coming in next year with the recruiting class if, you know, the majority of them decide to remain committed to CU. Um, and I think that's that's the main goal going forward is really reestablish yourselves as a good recruiting school and getting top 30 classes, nas- classes nationally yeah. and top five, six, top half of the Pac-12 um, recruiting classes. Because I think that should be the goal, and I think that is doable. That's realistic. Uh, and I think that's something that can change immediately if you get the right person in here to lead this thing yeah i mean i i I think it's too early i'm not gonna have you make a prediction on the coaches or anything um so it's just way too early to do that but um so where do you um uh, what am i trying to say here sorry um so they're off this week and then they play i'm sorry they play cal in a week yeah so this is a bye i mean it's a perfect time to fire Durrell. they're in a bye um, Sanford can kind of rally the troops. Um, yeah, in the following week, they've got Cal at home. So, And it's supposedly going to be a full crowd. I guess they've sold a lot of tickets because it's family weekend. So we'll see oh, what okay. that's like. Yeah, okay. All right, so we will uh, make sure everyone you know checks out Tyler's stuff. He will talk to uh, the interim coach tomorrow, and then you'll be at CU Hoops on Wednesday, correct? Yeah. And do you hockey. <laughs> yep, so a lot, of, a lot going this week. Three sports. Um Yes, Colorado State is at Nevada this weekend, so I won't be at that. Um, so most of my attention will be at CU with with uh, new with new coaching, with a new head coach, uh, interim head coach Mike Sanford, and kind of seeing what that's going to be like going forward. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. I'll have a story uh, coming tomorrow night on that after we talk with with Sanford, and then we'll see what it's going to be like next week as as he kind of takes this thing over. All right. All right, Tyler, thanks for uh, jumping on the day, and uh, let's hope for no more breaking news in the next couple of days, right? Yeah, let's let's save uh, a head coaching decision until December so I can prepare a little bit and get, you know, and get things settled, so. All right, sounds good, man. We'll talk to you again. All right, thanks. Yep. We are joined by Broncos beat reporter George Stoya to talk about the never boring Denver Broncos. George, how you doing? Good, Chris. How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, I guess we'll just go ahead and start with the breaking news this morning before we get into the game about uh, Javante Williams. Um, he's out for the season, torn ACL, and it seems like there's also some other stuff going on in his knee. What have, with his knee? What have you heard? And this is definitely a big blow for the Broncos. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely his ACL, and I can't remember what the other ligaments were, but uh, but I believe they're they're pretty serious. Uh, it's definitely not your typical just ACL injury. He blew out basically his entire knee. Uh, it sounds like so. That's 
that's obviously not good for him and, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what that timetable looks like because I think it's going to be quite a while I, I don't even know if they expect him to be ready for next season at this point so um, you know that sucks for Javante I feel really bad for him great guy um, you know I feel like he was on pace to have a really good year obviously um, but as for what the team does moving forward here they only have a few options right uh, I think that Melvin Gordon's going to get the ball a lot and we can dive into to Melvin here in a minute but yeah. uh, I think you're going to see a lot of Mike Boone um, as we did a little bit there in the second half yesterday. Uh, and he's a nice player, and I think he can do some nice things. But other than those two, they really don't have a ton of options. So I, I think you're looking at a scenario where maybe they go out and try and make a trade. But the issue with that is they don't really have a whole lot of draft capital, so you'd probably be trading a player. Uh, and I don't know if this team really wants to give up any of its depth right now considering the injuries. Uh, if you could go to the waiver wire, uh, maybe pick up someone there. You could go sign someone off of someone else's practice squad, i.e. Philip Lindsay is, is one obviously a lot of people have talked about, Duke Johnson and Buffalo. Um, so so they're going to have to probably do something like that uh, because the reality is clearly the trust with Melvin has not been there. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to change things now that Javante's out, but they don't trust him right now. Uh, and then you only have really Mike Boone. And uh, I, I think that they're in a, a really – interesting spot moving forward because if one of those two guys goes down then you're really in trouble well let's go ahead and dive into melvin gordon because he's the hot topic from yesterday's loss um you know he's was it four fumbles in four games yep and he's i mean he didn't lose the two against the niners but you know he when he took that first carry it was almost like you could see it coming like i don't know if it's just the way he's carrying the ball if he's just not confident right now what what do you see well, he's mostly carrying with one with one arm, one hand, um, and I think that that's part of it, right? Is you obviously have to secure it, especially when you're in, um, you know, those big scrums that Melvin is typically in, and I think that that's part of it. And then I think the other part is when he's fumbling the ball, it's typically when he's fighting for extra yards, yeah. and that's great, right? Like you want your running back to fight for extra yards, but at some point you just have to go down, uh, and I think that Melvin is learning that the hard way. The, the problem is, is Melvin's had a history of fumbling throughout his entire career. So it's not like something that I, I think he can just fix overnight. Uh, he, as easy as it sounds to fix fumbling, right? You just hold on to the ball. Right. Uh, I don't think, it, like, for guys like him that have played such a long time, I don't think it's something that he can just, you know, get rid of. He, he can be better at it, I'm sure. Uh, but I don't think this is going to be the last time he fumbles the ball this year. I mean, at, at this rate, I think he's fumbling it. Uh, uh, like every 44 carries or something, I think I saw, or maybe not. It's probably even less than that at this rate. But like, uh, or, or I, he's fumbled five times in his last 44 carries, I think is the stat. But it, so at that rate, like he's gonna fumble again, right? right? <laughs> so I, I think that it's not something he can totally fix, though. I, I think the Broncos don't have any other choice at this point because they're gonna have to play him. Uh, they just don't have enough bodies. And and Melvin, to his credit, is is a good running back. I mean, he's played eight years in the NFL. There's only so many guys that at that position have played that long and been as uh, efficient as he has. So I think that, you know, the Broncos are some, like, it sounds crazy because I know a lot of fans are, are, you know, really mad at Melvin Gordon right now, but in some ways the Broncos are very lucky to have a veteran like Melvin Gordon on this roster when you lose a guy like Javante. And they're just going to have to trust that Melvin can get the job done. I get the you know people being mad at Gordon but there was a lot that went wrong in that game yesterday mainly the third quarter where they had 17 yards um you know the the offense looked pretty good in the first half um the defense didn't but the offense did 
And then I don't know what happened in the third quarter. I think the offensive line is becoming more and more of a concern. They didn't run the ball yesterday, and I mean they didn't block Crosby a couple times. I'm not sure what what's going on there. Yeah, I think the offensive line definitely has some issues, especially on that right side when you talk about Cam Fleming and, and Graham Glasgow. I mean, you know, people I don't know if people realize neither of those guys were supposed to be starters this year. No. I mean, heck, Cam Fleming wasn't signed until halfway through training camp uh, because they realized that Billy Turner was not near as healthy, healthy as they anticipated. Uh, and then Calvin Anderson turned out to not be as good as they anticipated. So now all of a sudden you're playing Cam Fleming, who is a nice role player, right? But he's not a guy that you want starting at that right tackle spot. In the last two weeks, he's been pretty exposed when he's gone up against elite pass rushers and Nick Bosa and Max Crosby. Uh, Graham Glasgow, again, veteran guy, been around the league, had some really good years, uh, but he is not Quinn Miners. Quinn Miners was playing really good football for this Broncos team before he got hurt, so they're missing him. And then on top of that, Chris, when Garrett Bowles doesn't play up to his potential – He's just not the same player, right? We saw those right. holding penalties yesterday. He gave up a sack. I, I think that Garrett has shown potential of being a really elite left tackle, but when he's not, uh, he really struggles over there. And so I think that that's also become somewhat of a concern. And, and then, you know, you have Dalton Reiser and Lloyd Cushenberry, who I think are, are nice players. But I, I think that when you look at the offense and you look at the heart of their issues, I think it is the offensive line at this point. Well, it seems to be the tight end, too, because Albert yep. played one snap yesterday from the snap counts I saw. And, yep. you know, they're just not part of the offense either. Yeah, and it's it's kind of shocking. Uh, and I, I think that's somewhat an indictment on, on the position group, right? Uh, I think we I've, I've hit on it a lot is that, like, you look at Eric Sauber, Eric Tomlinson, uh, and Andrew Beck, those are three guys that are not, like, pass catchers. They, they are no. block-first tight ends. And then you add Albert O, who's just been underwhelming, uh, honestly, in his career. I mean, we just haven't seen him be the player that they expected him to be. So I, I guess the only good news there is that they are getting Greg Dulcich back, um, you know, this week. I, I don't know if he'll play on Thursday because that'd be a quick turnaround since he hasn't even practiced. Uh, but he is getting off the IR this week, uh, and they expect him to play soon. So maybe he can help that tight end group, especially – uh, being that he was a pass catcher catcher at UCLA, like this is not a guy that's going to come in and be a big time blocker. So maybe he can become a contributor on on that offense. But uh, it's definitely a position group that I would argue is maybe the worst on the on the team right now. And even at the receivers, you know it. You know Judy made a play. Hamler finally made a had a, it was on the field and made a play yesterday. But it still seems like Russ is looking to Sutton, and that's about it. Yeah, Sutton is definitely the go-to guy, uh, and rightfully so. I mean, you, when you look yeah. at Sutton, he, he's not dropping passes. Uh, he's making big plays. Uh, it seems like on you know third and longs, he's always the guy that's getting the ball. Um, so you look at the touchdown that he made, you know, getting open in the back of the end zone. Um, you know, I thought Jerry played well yesterday. He had a couple, a couple drops, which, you know, that continues to be an issue for him. Uh, but he's still a guy that can get open down the field. Um, you know, KJ, I was surprised he didn't play more. Uh, and then, of course, when he gets in the game, he makes, you know, maybe the biggest catch of the game. Um, you know, so I, I think that they have some weapons at receiver. They just need those guys to start stepping up uh, and making more plays. And I know that's crazy to say, but it's like, you know, they're not going to be able to run the ball the way that, the way that they were going to with, with Javante. So uh, I think the passing game is only going to have to get better. And I will say, though, all this negativity, Russell Wilson played his best game as a Bronco. Without yesterday. a doubt. 
Um, and he looked really, really sharp. And if he can play like that, then the Broncos are going to be in a lot of football games because he, he's able to move the ball up and down the field. Uh, again, they almost put it together for a full game, the offense, right? They, they did well in the first and second quarters. Had a couple of things here and there, but that's going to happen. Had a stinker for a third quarter and then came up when they needed it in the fourth quarter with that one touchdown drive. And, and then you're, you're kind of putting a, a tough spot there down nine. You know, they know you're going to pass the ball. You, you turn the ball over on down. So I don't really knock them for that one. But, uh, you know, I, I think that they're really close to maybe putting it all together. So we'll go to the other side of the ball. You wrote a story in today's Denver Gazette about how Josh Jacobs is the new villain for the Broncos. He, he does seem to play really well against the Broncos. But besides Sertan and Draymond Jones, it seemed like the defense was just a little bit off yesterday. Yeah, I mean, they did. They just missed a lot of tackles. Yeah. Uh, that was that was the main issue, I thought. I mean, yeah, Josh Jacobs gashed him for a few big ones. But it seemed like even on runs where, you know, it looked like it was going to be a two- or three-yard gain, they turn into eight, 10, 12-yard gains, right? Uh, and those things can't happen. I thought Josie Jewell kind of had a tough game. Uh, Jonas Griffith as well. I, I thought Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory were pretty non-existent for most of the game. Um, you know, I, we didn't see them get after Derek Carr as, as I anticipated they would. Uh, and so I think that that was obviously a huge part of it. But, um, yeah, the defense just didn't look very sharp. And, and when they needed to get a stop, they just couldn't do it. Uh, I think it was 212 yards on the ground for, for the Raiders. That's the most the Broncos have given up since week 10 of last year against the Eagles, uh, which they gave up 216. So, you know, that, that's that got to be uh, something that they fix. I think the secondary played relatively well considering, you know, Devontae Adams, Matt Collins, you know, Darren Waller, like those guys are going to get theirs. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think the defensive line didn't play particularly well other than Draymond Jones at times. Uh, and then I thought the linebackers just didn't fit some of the gaps as well as they needed to in the run game. Yeah, and then, you know, real quick on special teams, that was definitely Montreal Washington's best game. He was electric. Yeah, he's he's a guy that I think he'll break one by the end of the year. Um, you know, I, I thought the special teams really helped out the offense. You know, we, we talk about the offense getting going and moving the ball. Well, part of it was they had unbelievably great field position to start the game. I mean, I think their first four possessions uh, were all near the 50 or on the other side of the, you know, on, on, the, on Vegas' side. So, uh, when you can start in, in that kind of plus territory, you're going to be able to move the ball a lot easier and you're going to be able to score a lot easier. So uh, Montrell was great. He was definitely one of the bright spots uh, for the Broncos, and it seems like he's just getting more comfortable with each game. And, I mean, should he see the field more on offense, do you think? I mean, yes. Everybody loved The whole Kendall Hinton thing, great story. He had a big catch yesterday again. But he's not a playmaker, so to speak. I just feel like Washington could do something on an end around or something that they're missing. Yeah, no, I think he could definitely contribute more on offense than he is right now. I think part of the issue, though, is they're running a lot of different personnel where they've got two or three tight ends out there at times. Yeah. Uh, and when you have that many tight ends, which is really interesting because they're not, you know, particularly throwing them the ball, but they're on the field all of a sudden and uh you know then it's just Sutton and Judy out there as the receivers um so I think that that's part of the issue is like how, where do you fit him in the personnel but I totally agree he's definitely a guy that you can use as a downfield weapon even a guy that maybe you throw uh, on third and you know third and long you throw him a little screen and see if he can't make something happen um just because of the way that he moves and especially if KJ is not fully healthy which again he came up with a big catch so maybe he is uh, but if they're not going to play him that many snaps Maybe Montrell gets those snaps. I, I don't know. But I, I do think that he's a guy that when he has the ball in his hands, he makes things happen. And I think that uh, you could find maybe more ways to get him the ball. 
So the Broncos are on a nice short week. They play uh, at home Thursday against the Colts. The Colts who lost to the Titans this past week. They are 1-2-1. and With their one win being against Kansas City, and after the way Kansas City played last night, it's kind of shocking because they just destroyed the Bucs. But, um, so, I mean, quick preview. What, what do you see from this game? Um, I don't think these two teams are, will excite the national audience. But um, what do you think? Well, it's a game the Broncos should win. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a game that uh, I think that they need to win, right? I, I look at it and you say, okay, they just lost to, a, honestly, not a great Raiders team. Um, now, I think some people probably expected that because they haven't beaten the Raiders in, you know, forever, yeah. uh, especially on the road. But you look at this Colts team, this is a very beatable Colts team. They also have a couple guys out. Obviously, um, Shaquille Leonard, uh, their, their, their big linebacker is not going to be playing. And so I feel like this offense should be able to move the ball on them. Uh, now, what's concerning is if Jonathan Taylor's playing uh, and Josh Jacobs could pick up, you know, 140 yards yeah. on the ground, what can Jonathan Taylor do to this defense? So I think that that's where the biggest correction needs to be made for the Broncos in this game. And and I think they will, I, you know, at home, at night, Thursday night, I, I do think this is a game the Broncos will win. Uh, but again, in the NFL, you never know. But I think they have to because you turn around uh, and then you play the Chargers on Monday Night Football. So, uh, and that's a big, big game when you when you're already 0-1 in the division. Uh, you need to go win uh, in LA and, and kind of get back on track in the AFC West. Real quick before you go, have you heard anything on Randy Gregory, or you probably just wait until Hackett talks later this afternoon? Yeah, I mean, I spoke briefly to him uh, after the game last night, and he was in good spirits. He was, um, you know, walking around, you know, cracking jokes with guys and. Uh, he had crutches, but he wasn't using them. They were just on the ground, uh, whereas Javante was using them. So I was like, okay, that's not good. Yeah. Um, but Randy seemed to be like he thought he was fine. I feel like if it was bad, we would have found out by now. Like it would have it would have leaked. Um, so I think he's fine. Will he play Thursday night? I don't know. It's such a weird week in terms of uh, things, you know, being a quick turnaround. And do you really want to rush a guy back like Randy uh, and get him, you know, injured in, in that game? Or would you rather have him? you know, on a, a, a long week uh, and play on Monday Night Football against the Chargers. I would guess the latter. So, um, yeah. you know, I think that he'll be fine. But, again, we don't know and we won't know until we talk to Hackett here uh, in about an hour. All right, George, uh, we'll get you out of here. You think the Broncos do win on Thursday. I mean, is, is it almost getting a must-win time? Like, two and three, another loss in the AFC, you know, it it's just a game they have to win. Yeah, I think so. I, I think from here on out, it, it, especially against teams that are, you know, arguably inferior opponents, right? You look at the schedule and there aren't a whole lot of those teams that you're like, oh, that's an automatic win, right? You look, you've got the Colts, you've got the Jets, and you've got the Panthers. Those are the three games that I circle and say they have to win those games if they want to make the playoffs because the AFC West, while it hasn't looked as good as we all anticipated, it's still going to be incredibly tough to beat the Raiders, beat the Chargers, and beat the Chiefs, right? Uh, and so you need to win those games that that should be I, – I don't want to say gimmies because there's no gimmies in the NFL, but those are games that they should win, right? And, and I, you know, you, you have the Cardinals, you have the Titans. Those are two, I think, just tough football teams that are going to be tough to beat, and, and any given day they could beat you um, based on how their, their star players play. So I, I look at some of these other games, and it's like, man, you got to start winning those games – um, that that are, are supposed to be your games. So I, I think that um, this is a must-win. And I think you know from here on out, every game you could argue is a must-win, right? That the, the uh, quote-unquote preseason is over, right? September is gone. Yeah. Uh, it's October, and, and this is when important football starts to be played. For sure. 
All right, George, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are on a short week with the Broncos, so maybe we'll talk again Friday if we can. Uh, if not, we'll talk to you next Monday. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. All right, thanks, George. Thank you for listening to the Denver Gazette podcast. Make sure to visit denvergazette.com for all your local news on Broncos, Rockies, Avalanche, Nuggets, and much, much more. We'll talk to you next time.